1: The woman has to take the kitchen back professionally. Yeah. As a Black Southern woman, wanting to own that food, it took me a long time. Soul food is bigger than those celebration dishes, oxtails, mac and cheese, mm-hmm. smothered pork chops. When I have something that I really need to say to somebody that's really hard and I don't say it, I am denying them that lesson. Opportunity.
0: Why is it that men look distinguished with gray hair and women look old? Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This is a safe space for honest and relevant conversations intended to recharge Black women and fuel Black girl magic. We're your hosts, Akila Friend and Don Montgomery, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. Hey y'all, welcome back to Monuments to Me. Welcome back to this protected space for by about black women. I'm your host Aquila Friend. You know my co-host is missing today because you know, it's graduation season. She yes. got her babies. <laughs> she has to celebrate that, which we congratulate you, Dawn with that. But you get to miss out on Carla Hall. Like you missing out, girl. And um but she's here in spirit. Here. She's here in spirit. She's here in spirit for sure. And today's conversation is gonna be so good. I'm actually really excited about this. We're gonna be talking about, you know, black women in the culinary industry, talking about you, giving you your flowers, but also just like talking through your journey because I think it's been such an incredible one and just the amount of things that you've done and continue to do. It's it's beyond culinary at this point. It's just like Black Girl Magic on steroids. Oh, to God, be honest, I love it. it really I love is. It. <laughs> My silos. Yes, yes. Um, but take it back. Take us back to the very beginning. Like Little Carla, Nashville, Tennessee. Did you always know culinary? Like being a chef was for you?
1: No, no. I mean, not at all. I I did not cook. I didn't want to cook. Wow. I I did not cook. I love to eat. I would be known to eat a whole bag of oranges. <laughs> I mean, like the whole bag. I mean, I'd be itchy afterwards, but I would eat the whole bag. Yes. I was climbing trees. I loved doing things with my hands. I always loved crafting. I, I, I thought I was going to be an actress. Really? Yes. I did acting from 12 to 17. Mm. And then I was very much influenced by my grandmother and her food. I loved my grandmother. Both yeah. grandmothers cooked really well. My father cooked really well. My parents got divorced at seven. My mother eats for sustenance. <laughs> she does not even. She doesn't really care about food. I don't I even understand it. Cannot relate
0: to those people at all. Not Ow. at all. <laughs> right. Not
1: at all. Mm-mm. So you know, I think because I didn't start cooking until much later. Right. Even when I. When I was working for an accounting firm in Tampa, and I said, "Oh, I'm gonna," uh, it's so funny your face yeah, is just like, like what?
0: <laughs> from acting acting to accounting. Okay, <laughs> uh, um,
1: I made some soup for some a friend. I said, "Oh, you all come over for tomato soup." Mm-hmm. Child, that tomato soup was made with three cans of tomato paste. <laughs> it was so bad, and they're like, uh, "We're going out, right?" To eat. <laughs> so when I told those friends that I was going to start a lunch delivery service, mm-hmm. they're like. What? Yes. With whose food? Like who is buying right? this stuff? Mm. You know, and it was after so the accounting. Right. Okay. Swerved from acting, did accounting, hated it, and then I went to Paris oh, yes. to model as one would do. Right. <laughs> and and then that's where I fell in love with food.
0: Mm, good and place
1: to do that. it was with. And not because not because I had the money to really eat. True. It's just because I was hanging out with a bunch of models at a Sunday brunch with this woman named Elaine who was from Memphis, Tennessee, and she would have these brunches for the models and they would be making buffalo wings and macaroni and cheese and all these things because we were homesick for mm. all of that soul food, that yeah. comfort and the girls would be going back and forth well my mother makes macaroni and cheese like this well my mother makes it like this I'm like I have no idea yeah I mean like no idea man something I ate every week at my grandmother's house the Sunday supper after church had no, no idea, idea how to make it and so I started going to the American bookstore buying cookbooks and so cooking became an act of gratitude for all the people who allowed me to sleep on their couch
0: I love that I love that give me a place to stay yeah. I'll make you a meal
1: well I'm gonna try to make you a meal at that point <laughs>
0: OK, there's a lot of things that I want to touch on from what you said. And I think the biggest thing is the levels of pivots that you've made in your career. And just it seems like just being open to those changes. How do you go from acting to accounting? Let's start there. Like, So
1: I did theater from 12 to 17. And it was a play called Bubbling Brown Sugar that actually got me excited about acting. And I was painfully shy. Right. I wanted to go to Boston University. And my acting teacher was grooming all of us to go to these conservatories, NYU, Boston, and I didn't get in. I was gonna my admissions was going to be deferred. I saw that as as a huge rejection, right. and so my sister was going to Howard, and so I said, "Well, I guess I'll apply there." And I like my accounting teacher, so I guess I'll major in accounting.
0: I mean, it was I really I love, I love, no thought. But that's honestly like, and that's what I think sometimes when folks think you have to make your life decision at mm-hmm. eighteen, it's like, who. Some people do, but for the most part, it's like you have to just throw a dart at the wall and just go for it. One hundred (laughs) percent.
1: One of the things that because I'm an armchair psychologist and I do a lot of those tests, you know, like Enneagrams and Colby, like all the things, all the things. One of the things that I learned about myself, and this is later. And when I look at my life in hindsight, it makes sense. I'm a quick start. So Mm. I will see something and I'm like, okay, I want to do it. I don't I don't have to deliberate. I don't have to investigate. I don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm all in. Yep. And I try it. If I like it, I'm still there. If I'm if I don't like it, I move. move
0: on. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's resilience too. Like, where did you even learn that? Is that just innate, or do you feel like situations in your life just made it that way?
1: I think situations in my life made it that way. But I think I have, and, and I'm also a Taurus. Mm-hmm. So once I decide that I'm going to do something, happening, I am very focused on that thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've always had that. Yeah. Well, happy
0: belated birthday. Thank <laughs> you. May 12th to Yes. May 12th? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. One of my best friends is May 12th as well. I'm June 12th, so, you know, I got to... Okay, okay the 12th. The, you know, the twelves. All right, but you jumped from accounting to modeling. So yes. I feel like even, you know, the acting to modeling, I can see that from a creative aspect, mm-hmm. um, that tie-in, but to go from accounting back to modeling or to modeling, which seems, in a sense, reverting back to who you want to be, the types of things that you want to do. Yes. But... Tell me if that wasn't it. That's exactly it. (laughs) Right. So I remember,
1: and accounting was safe. And so I remember being in a field of I-beams in Ocala, Florida, and I worked for Price Waterhouse at the time and doing this audit. And I, I looked over at the auditor and he is folding this piece of paper and taking a full minute to line up the corners. And then like I was like, oh, my gosh, that cannot be me. I was so afraid of being 40 and hating my job yes. that I had to get out. I was, and, and two weeks later, I tendered my resignation and I was yeah. out in two weeks. Wow. I mean, a quick start. Gone. Yeah. I mean, like, no, this is not it.
0: You know, and that's the thing that a lot of folks attribute, whether for good or bad, to like, let's say millennials or even Gen Z to say, no, you know, you don't stay at the same place. You're not doing this for, you know, you're in a place and you're there until your pension type of thing. Mm -hmm. For you to not do that, I feel like you were a visionary in that sense. Like, do you feel like how did your peers look at you? How did your family look at you for deciding to say, I'm going to jump and do something else?
1: What? (laughs) My friends were like, wait, you're leaving this good job. Right. To do something that is so uncertain. Mm hmm. And well you don't need, I mean and I had one telephone number that I it was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and the cousin <laughs> of that friend and going to Paris with that number and that's all I had man and I just went because I think and it, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew mm-hmm. what I didn't want to do. Yes. And sometimes that is more important and more valuable than knowing what you want to do. And so modeling was a bridge between what I knew I didn't want to do and what I eventually wanted to do. Right. And I was I was determined to figure that out. And mm-hmm. I didn't really care how I did it. And also, I was traveling. And the information to learn about yourself, other people, other cultures right. through travel is immeasurable. Okay. And And people just don't travel enough. They don't even travel out of their region. They don't Mm -hmm. even travel to go to another culture in a restaurant. I mean, so you have to travel just to understand other people and yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just incredible, too, that you went, like you said, a friend of a friend of a friend. just listen, I think just the drive and just the belief in yourself, too, to say, hey, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this. Because I think, you know, I'm at that stage, too, where I'm like, okay, I left this very corporate situation, corporate job. Now I'm. You know, doing this talk show piece, doing this podcast situation. But it's not like it's all means like when you're in it, everything is lined up and everything is working out. And now it's like rose colored, you know, pathways. So you're there in Paris. Great scenery, great opportunity. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's not like, you know, you step down there and you're Naomi Campbell overnight. Oh, 100 (laughs) percent. I mean, here I
1: am, you know, from Nashville. Mm -hmm. I was living in then Tampa, Florida. I'm living in a pensione mm-hmm. on the top floor, four story walk up. I am almost six feet tall. I cannot even stand up straight in the room. Oh, this is where I'm standing, okay? <laughs> and I knew I had maybe 10 words of French. I took, because I took Spanish in, in high school. Right. <laughs> I took like 10 days of French, with, and so I got 10 words out of it. And then I got there and I'm trying to order. I go to a, a patisserie and I'm like, en croissant du beurre, s'il vous plaît. And she's like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Croissant du beurre.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: croissant du beurre. Super like.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light.
1: croissant du beurre. I said, "Oh my god, I'm gonna starve." Right. <laughs> I, I don't eat pork, but I can say, hamon. on okay. so I? So I'm eating pork now. Okay, right. <laughs> and so it was... And I started mimicking people. So the thing is, during theater, Yeah. I started, like, I, I had her facial expression. en croissant du beurre. When I went to London, I said, have some water, please. Because people were like, I'm sorry, what? What are you saying? Right. Oh, let me mimic your, how you sound to me. Yes, yes, And then nobody was saying, huh, what? true. I Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Acting came in, in handy. In, in
0: handy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got the books now. You have the cooking books and you're cooking yeah. for people, for places to stay. How did that translate from... Because sometimes people stay in this mode of something that they're really good at or really interested in remains a hobby and remains that for life. Yes. You turned that into not only something that you were doing, in act of service, but eventually a whole career. How did you decide to say... You know what? I'm going to take this interest that I'm learning and I'm actually going to apply it for profit. So when I had um, so I was doing
1: the lunch delivery service. I did that for five years. Mm. I worked every single day for five years. And I'm not exaggerating. I worked every day. If you came to visit me, you were making sandwiches. And I was in at this point, I was in a three story walk up. And so and I was in D.C., Mm. And so eventually I decided to go to culinary school, but that's Mm -hmm. after five years of doing this lunch Mm -hmm. delivery service. And so I felt like I had the practical knowledge. Mm -hmm. Culinary school was going to give me the theory. And so I – so. so that I could understand why I was making a certain choice, right? Mm-hmm. And so putting those two together, and then I started working in restaurants. The thing is, after five years, I realized I loved it. I was struggling yeah. every day. Yeah. I didn't have any money, wow. but I still wanted to do it, Yeah. you know? And that, is, that was the, the key and sort of the answer to, do I want to do this? Do I want to actually pay the money to go to culinary school? Yeah. And my grandmother, they saw how much I was working and they invested in me and they paid oh. for my culinary school. Oh
0: my goodness. That is beautiful. And I think, too, what you're saying around just having and gaining the theory, I think especially for black women, too, like, you know, I think you also, in a sense, need the pedigree, right? Do You feel like that's how you felt, like, especially in the culinary landscape. I know for me personally, I felt like if I'm going to do this business and corporate thing, I need to get a master's and get an MBA because I don't want to be told no, even though I have Mm -hmm. these experiences to back it up. You have a whole business for five years. You've been doing it. It's clearly successful enough for you to keep doing it. And yet you felt the need to go to culinary school. Yes. You know, was is is that something that you also felt?
1: Yeah, I felt like I have to get the knowledge. Mm-hmm. For me, my confidence comes from knowledge. Yeah. You know, knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. My confidence of knowing that I know this thing in culinary school. Is not the be-all and end-all for everyone, True. but I was also 30 when I went. True. I'm not starting at a, nice. at a restaurant as a dishwasher right. and then as a line cook and mm-hmm. working my way up. Mm-hmm. I had to get a jump start. Yeah. That was the way that I was going to get my jump start. And so I think a lot of times people will say, oh, I want to jump right into this. But what do you know? Do you really have you prepared your instrument to actually go out and do the work so that you will feel confident against another person who has had this
0: experience? Right. And so that, that was really big for me. Yeah. I mean, and you did it. And then mm-hmm. you started in these restaurants, and you're, and again, you're still doing the thing. Was your delivery service running at the same time you were at these restaurants, or you kind of? No,
1: I let that go, but right. it was still going while I was in culinary school. So I was, I was doing double duty. And
0: look, wow. let me tell you. <laughs> so at one
1: point, I was a figure model at a an art school. Mm-hmm. So my my I was I was out and about and my and I was doing like a tour of these galleries, and my friend tells this guy, yeah, she was a model, so he comes against me, oh, you were a model Hey will you come and sit for us child I, I, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I didn't know what figure modeling was all I know is I got there and it was figure, not portrait, which meant you were naked you were, yes. and I was like, what?" I mean, I have had some experiences right. I love and it. here I am. And they're like, how many heads high? Oh, she has the blue, the yellow undertones and the blue. Da, da, da. So I felt like an apple. So here I am up there, you know, 20 minutes stint So at the end of my, with my breaks, I'll start walking around, looking at people's uh, easels. Right. And I was a naked body walking around. Now here the apple <laughs> is now walking around. And they're like, oh, my God, What's because that? I, I be, to them, I became a person. Yes. As soon as I left that stage, I became a person. I was it was it was so crazy. But, but I've had all of those experiences, yes. which were wonderful. And they all color and add to the things that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm.
0: I can totally see that because then you you met all types of people. Yes. And I think especially with food, you, you're you interacting with everyone. And there's different types of people that are probably coming into just your world. And mm-hmm. now you know how to just kind of work with everyone. And you're able to, as you say, mimic. Yes. <laughs> and
1: also, there is nothing that makes you more vulnerable mm-hmm. than to be naked in front of a group of people. Artist, wow! And so there's a part of yourself that add talk about adding to your confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I was always confident, but there is something that yeah. you have to give into yourself in that moment.
0: Totally, totally. So one thing I've always wondered about, just the culinary world in general, is that even though we have stereotypes for gender roles in everyday life in terms of okay, the woman is in the kitchen cooking, et cetera, et cetera, in the culinary world, it seems like it's almost the reverse where there seems to be such a I don't know what to say to put my... You know, right. You know what I'm saying? Child, my lips are
1: all twisted up.
0: Yes. It's just so... It's just... The male cooks are the ones that's dominating things. The chefs dominating things are the ones that seem to get it, get by easier in a sense. And I'm like, wait, but isn't this supposed to be quote-unquote women's work?
1: Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) And it's it's an oxymoron because (laughs) women are doing all the things in the kitchen. They are managing the kitchen. So even when you think... Let me just... Think about the guys. Oh, yeah, I like to grill. So have they shopped for the meat? Mm. Have they marinated the meat? Are they cleaning the grill? Are they doing all the other things? No, all they're doing is taking that prepared steak and throwing (laughs) it on some fire and hoping hoping that it doesn't burn. (laughs) But the management of it is is also part of that thing. Mm. And that is what happens in restaurants. And I think that I've always I've been saying that. The woman has to take the kitchen back professionally yeah. as soon as something happens where it's it's for profit or for to make mm-hmm. a living. It's like mm-hmm. it, shifts it shifts to the man. You're right. And men will often 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 male chefs will say, I'm so inspired by my mother.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're inspired by your mother, get some other females in the kitchen. I love that. I love that. Why do you think there is that standoffness when it comes to, you know not bringing other female chefs into the kitchen?
1: I mean, there there are a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a long way to go still, but I, I also think that the job is hard. Mm-hmm. The hours are long. Mm-hmm. You're on your feet. True. You're lifting heavy pots. So no longer are you lifting a four-quart pot. Yeah. You're lifting like a 10-gallon something mm-hmm. or another. So it's mm-hmm. it's physical and heavy work. Yeah. I know that when I was in the kitchen, and what helped me was that I was tall and I was strong. Yeah. And so when I mean, somebody's... Pull up on me. I, I, I literally pull up my, my, my statue and <laughs> yes. I look down, I'm like, I'm sorry, what'd yes. you say? Because I have some friends who are shorter and they got hazed in the mm. kitchen. That has, I think, changed. Right. I think we've, we're changing the culture, but we still have a little ways to go. Yeah. But I also think that there's a difference between, a lot of times people want to say male and female chefs. I like to say there's a difference between male energy and female energy. Hmm.
0: That's a good because way. there are
1: men That's with female energy. Right. And a person that I think about, Michael Simon, whom I worked with on The Chew. Mm-hmm. When you eat that man's food, you know he loves his mama. I love that. You know? Yes. And that's that That's that female energy. Mm-hmm. And then I think male energy is sort of... Egoic, you know. Let me puff out my chest. Let me show you yeah. what I am making, and let me have the. I'm not saying all beautiful plates are like that, right, right, but right. a lot of times it's the way something looks, and when you taste it, you're like, eh. What's going on here, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and then the, the two can come together. Yeah. It can be a balance of male and female energy.
0: Yeah. What were some of the obstacles that you personally faced? You know, because it's not only you're a woman, you're a black woman, right? In the kitchen, or you know, really working your way up the ranks. What were some of your your biggest challenges?
1: Well, I think confidence, seeing my food out, pictured in the restaurant. Yeah. You know, even when you're given a special and as a black Southern woman wanting to own that food, it took me a long time. And mm-hmm. I didn't really own it until I was on Top Chef. Mm-hmm. I did not. Own, I wanted to be a chef, not a cook. I wanted to make French cuisine, not mm-hmm. fried chicken. Mm-hmm. I wanted mm-hmm. to show people what I can do. And a lot of times that imposter syndrome takes away our culture and that happens. I don't care whether you're a cook, whether you are an artist, whether you are just in corporate America, that imposter syndrome makes you put on a mask Mm -hmm. for the world in front of you.
0: Yes. That doesn't like really proclaim black culture. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: And Mm -hmm. so for me, I had to get back to that. And what came out of that was my cookbook, Carla Hall Soul Food, Every Day in Celebration. And in the book, I talk about how I love unapologetically being black and being a woman mm-hmm. and stepping into these dishes and using the premise that if my great grandmothers four times removed came from West Africa or Nigeria and the Bubi, uh, the, the booby people from Bioko Island, what would they be making? Yeah. And you really tuning into that energy to inform what dishes went into
0: that book. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Another piece, too, that you touched on and I really want to highlight is not only just the dichotomy between, you know, male energy, female energy, uh, black women versus, you know, everyone else within the within these kitchens, but also the type of food, because Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing, too. I feel like for folks who. It may be a little less now. I see a lot of chefs that are really rising through the ranks and, and kind of, as you say, owning that space. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba At participating McDonald's. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But it feels like it's still Parisian cuisine, even, you know, let's say Mexican cuisine, different Italian cuisine over over Southern cooking when it comes to just, like, how much they think the—how much preparedness really goes into it, how many ingredients goes into it, how hard it really is to make Mm -hmm. a lot of these these things. You talk about mac and cheese, like— <laughs> the I mean, there's a lot ingredient. of people. There's a lot what? of
1: things. There, there are a lot of black people out there who can't they make a mac make and it. cheese. Who can't
0: make it? Who we now, talk about it
1: every Thanksgiving. What? <laughs> right? Who will now turn to Velveeta? And yes. they'll. T- I have seen people. I'm not throwing any shade. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I am. Uh, <laughs> the noodles are in the in the pan. They pour some milk and they put in some Velveeta and they stir it up and they put it in the and oven. And that's it. Mm. A good mac and cheese that will not mm-hmm. make. No. So when I had my restaurant for only a year, it took me longer to plan it than it did to make it. So Carla Hall Southern Kitchen. And I I brought in all of these people from Brooklyn and teaching them about our food. And we went through this whole process of finding farmers for our collards. And we had a place that was making our pasta for our macaroni and cheese. Mm -hmm. And we had black eyed peas and all of this. Like where are the sweet potatoes going to come from? And they were like, wow, I've never seen this much care go into our food. And they were blown away about the quality, about the attention to detail, mm-hmm. and the ingredients, and the salads, and everything was made from scratch. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I said, but this is who we are. Yes, this is yes, what we have to come yes, back to. Yes. And but but there's also there are those celebration dishes, and, and and I think that soul food is bigger than those celebration dishes: oxtails, mac and cheese, mm-hmm. some other pork chops, mm-hmm. and they're all of these dishes that are everyday dishes that like, I don't know, black eyed pea salad, you know, where you're looking at greens, but not always with, with ham hocks and you're looking at legumes and you're looking at millet and sorghum and all of those grains. But as a culture, we don't know them. Yes. And also as a culture, we think, oh, I've I've had people say, oh, I would love to get your cookbook, but oh, soul food's going to kill me. What culture (laughs) in any other culture Mm -hmm. says that your food is going to kill you? that, Yes. right? Yes. And so if we think it's going to kill us, mm. either we are ready to die happy or we don't know it. Or we don't know it. Don't know it. And so I get up on a soapbox to say, you don't know our food. Yeah. And if you don't know our food, you're putting yourself in danger of actually every culture has celebration dishes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Italians don't eat lasagna and meatballs every, every day. day. Right. You, right. Mm-hmm. And so we have put ourselves in a really small box and, And we need to bust out of that box. And what I love about a lot of chefs Mm. is they are doing it. And I mean, I wanna mention like Gregory Gordet, Mm. and Tiffany Dairy and Kwame Unwachi. And it's all about balancing all these dishes. And and so that it's a little bit of celebration and a little bit of everyday. But we have to do that in our restaurants so that we show people the breadth of the ingredients that are also indigenous from Africa and all, all other places as well. That that we can sort of change the way we eat, and that therefore we will change our health and our, our communities. And
0: I think from a community standpoint, too, it's just a point of self-discovery, too, to just know, oh, my gosh, all these types of food yes. is out there. I know when I saw High on the Hog on Netflix, I was like, yes. oh, my goodness, the amount of ingredients, as you say that, and where it traces back to just the importance of the mm-hmm. things that you're doing, it, it, makes, it makes a difference. Yes. You mentioned Southern Kitchen. I want to talk about it for a hot second because I thought… First of all, I saw the Kickstarter campaign. I was there for that. I was like, yes, I love it, Brooklyn. Like great. I'm from New York. It's amazing. But I think it really just also really touched on just the I think the struggles when it comes for any chef trying to trying to take it to that next level, really build that collective culinary empire, and then things like electrical fires, yes. things like just you know you know having general man, just a bunch of things that can really impact anyone. Yes, really anyone. Like how did you? I mean, you clearly bounced back, but how was that experience when you were there? Like, what's next? Do you want to tap back into that space? <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Um, doing a restaurant was really hard. Yeah. Um,
1: it took three years to convince me to do a restaurant. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do a restaurant. I'm smart enough to know that I don't want to do a restaurant. Mm-hmm. But it was so good for me. It was hard. Yes. I have never been so tired in my life. I would get up at like 5.45, I would do the chew. Right. I would finish that at 2. I would go to the restaurant. I would be there until midnight and have to go back to the Upper West Side. And I was doing that repeatedly every day, testing, training, all of these mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, everyone was really excited about the restaurant. And and then we had that electrical fire. Right. And then we were struggling to get the restaurant back open. And we really didn't have enough money to maintain the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we cut was PR. Marketing. Mm-hmm. So a year later, the restaurants closed, and people like, "Did y'all ever, are y'all open again?" Right. That's the last thing. Honestly, yes. you cut. You need the mar- you need the marketing. Mm-hmm. You need the dollars. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing that I learned was location, location, location. True. I was not in a place, a location where I could take advantage of having a national presence yeah. on television. There was no foot traffic, right? Point. So a lot of times, people think, "Oh, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to do this thing," but I was also balancing, you know, my other life. And do we struggle to get a restaurant in a place that has more foot traffic? Right. In hindsight, yes, mm. that's what you do mm-hmm. because you're going to have more bodies. You have, It's all about the turnovers, all about the number of covers. It's mm-hmm. all about that, the business part of it. But would I do it again? Yes. If everything happened the exact same way, yeah. I would do it again. And let me tell you why. Because one of the things I was able to be the mouthpiece to say, I don't care if I'm on television, this business is still hard. Yes, And I remember doing a talk on my business failing, mm-hmm. and a lot of times people want to just glorify their lives and everything. And and one of the things that I do is talk about my failures. About I can real. teach you mm-hmm. more about my failures totally. than I can about my successes. Mm-hmm. And chefs responded to that. Mm-hmm. They were like, thank you for being honest. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling people like w- what the real deal is.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cause it's tough. It's yeah. tough. I, I mean, if you do start it again, like tap me in because... <laughs> I would love it, but also I think what was just cool about your career in general is one thing to be a chef and really working through the ranks. You also was on TV or at, are on TV in general. Mm-hmm. Like, what made that? What was that first big? You know, I don't know inclination to, for yourself to say, you know, what I want to also present my talents to the world. Like taking it back to that acting yeah. route in a sense, right? You know, really combining again the interests, but also getting the opportunity to do that. How did you make that happen?
1: So I think. That acting bug has always been and is still in me. Mm. Performance. I I am a performer. You know, Top Chef came a knocking. And that was in 07. A friend said, hey, you should do Top Chef. And then another friend, well, my sous chef at the time said, I had a dream you were on Top Chef. And then I get home and then I have a call from a producer from Magical Elves. And I was like, oh, you're not going to punk me, you know. <laughs> and so I wasn't going to return the call. And I had this message and I, I returned the call and they were like, hey, do you want to audition for Top Chef? Love it. And it, it it so everything happens for a reason. right? And so I did that. And that was a huge discovery. I was mm. 44 when I did Top Chef.
0: What?
1: I was 44.
0: The grind do not stop. Okay. No, it doesn't stop. And so when
1: people are like, I wanted to do this all my life, I'm like, child, you're you 18. You, you're
0: right. You got all your life. <laughs> right. So
1: I had been, so I went to culinary school at 30. Mm. I did top chef at 44. Love That's that. 14 Love years that, that I'm yes. in the industry. And I've had catering businesses and yes. all of that. So then after that, I'm like, I really do like. I, I like this. Yeah. Also I realized how comfortable I was in front of the camera doing the mm-hmm. BTS and the interviews. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is therapy. Like, so let, me, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what where I am. I can't <laughs> talk to my husband. I can talk to you. Okay, look, you gonna listen because this is this is real. I am stressed. Yeah. So I did that and then I did it again. I didn't want to do Chop mm-hmm. Chef the second time. Really? Oh my god, why no. not? I don't wanna I don't wanna compete. I hate competing. I'm like, stressful cooking. I cook with love. I don't cook with stress. (laughs)
0: Competing (laughs) is stressful. You know, right? No one wants to taste taste like stressful food. No, no, no. Give me your indigestion and everything.
1: (laughs) So I did that. And then they called me. They said, hey, do you want to do Top Chef chef again? I'm like, not really. I got, I had three calls. And I said, well, maybe if I make it part of my business plan.
0: Ooh, smart. So I
1: said, okay, this time it's going to be with intention. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cater anymore. Mm -hmm. I hate catering. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? I wasn't sure, but I said, I think I'm just going to do cookies. I went on Top Chef All-Stars to tell people I don't cater anymore, and now I make cookies, like petite cookies. That's it. That was my plan, you know? (laughs) Right. And so that's what I started doing. And then after that, I won Fan Favorite. Mm -hmm. And because of Fan Favorite, I... The two people came and knocking and that's how that ball rolled. Yeah. When you are fearless in your next step, when you have a fire Mm. and you want to do something, that is the thing that you're meant to do. True. By not doing it, Mm. you deny yourself that growth
0: Mm -hmm. and also to step foot on your path. Yep. What was the thing at that moment that was nodding in you to say, this is what I'm meant to do? Because especially because you've done it before. So what was in you that second time around outside of the business plan to say, no, this is what I need to do. And it's showcased in a way that it snowballed, obviously, to the true and, and all these other so things.
1: So look, so the first time I did Top Chef, everybody said, you should have won. I said, no, I shouldn't have. Mm. Because by doing it again.
0: Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you?
1: that was the time that the chew was percolating by doing it again. My timing Timing. of winning fan favorite, put me on the path and on the same road of the chew.
0: Yeah. You're preaching to me right now. You don't even know it. I think I'm on your couch. You're not on my couch. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening. I believe that I believe
1: everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so I have been around this sun enough times when something is hard and it happens and I check in, it is for me. So the chew came. The difference between being on Top Chef is you're cooking and the cameras are going and you're not managing anything. They just capture you doing what you do. Mm -hmm. The chew. Yeah,
0: that's
1: a lot. In a six-minute segment.
0: Fellow chefs who are all, right. You're chatting. (laughs) You're
1: cooking. You're Mm -hmm. teaching. You're letting the audience get to know Mm -hmm. you. The daytime audience wants a best friend. They want to get to know Mm -hmm. you. And so it's all of that. It was such a hard transition for me. It was so hard. I I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I was nervous. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the fun loving person that mm-hmm. they thought they were getting. Right. And they reminded me, yeah. That, what's Who what's is that? this? <laughs> right. This is not the person we hired. Okay. This is
0: Farla, not Carla. Okay. Okay, <laughs> what's going on. So, and I
1: and I remember the one time they had, they were playing some music and I was like, oh, my God, I love this song. And I ran out to the audience and I danced with some people. Yes. And then when I came back, mm-hmm. I was so relaxed. I'm like, hey, y'all, what are we cooking? What are we cooking? Right. And they're like, oh, my God, get that this girl a it. playlist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that sort of became a thing. But it was really, it was hard the first three years. Yeah. Yeah. Three I thought, years. Three, chow. It was hard the first three years. I, I thought I was going to get fired.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, the first year I, I lived in a, I lived in a, a temporary apartment. It was furnished. And, and I was like, I just know I need to be able to move New York in 60 minutes or less. I can't <laughs> afford this place. I need to be able to move in a taxi. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. You know, yeah. I need a suitcase. And so that was a whole thing. But also I didn't realize my gifts at the time. I really didn't. Mm. And it was, it was challenging and but after the first three years and I saw a media trainer and the, the executive producer was like, the guys are better than you. And sometimes mm-hmm. we talk about those hard things and things that people say to us. Yeah. But the thing is, that's the thing that I needed to propel me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, knowing knowing that when I have something that I really need to say to somebody that's really hard and I don't say it. I am denying them that lesson, that
0: opportunity. That's
1: it, right? That's it. And so I went, and 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 who knows? A lot of times we talk about, oh gosh, they said this. The... Everybody is not skilled at talking to people. Truth, they they're Truth. not skilled at talking to people. But you're going to get exactly what you need for this mm-hmm. lifetime. You check in. I, I check in like I don't feel anything, child. It's not mine. It's not. But when you yeah. have all that anger and angst and 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 nervousness, it is yours to work out. Because mm-hmm. if you work it out, your gifts on the other side of that. Yeah.
0: That's how did you, was that always your mindset?
1: I've done a lot of spiritual work before I even got like from 30 Girl, I had some hard times. I read Marianne Williamson's a return to love yes. I, girl. girl <laughs> Tolle, I, I mean, seriously, I, for me, everything that happens to me and it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm like, Oh wow. Look at God. Look at yeah. that. I, I really try to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. I really try to mm-hmm. live an authentic mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And my prayer at the shoot every single day was authenticity. Mm -hmm. And in order to get me there was going to be this man telling me that I wasn't good enough. And basically, and I realized just like a few weeks ago, what he was saying to me was, Mm -hmm. I wasn't being my true self.
0: And that was just a few weeks ago. And it's interesting, too, with that to say, because you're right, a lot of tough conversations I've had, too, especially in this industry. It's just kind of like, oh, man, that hurt. But at the same time, if you want it. It's yours. I yes. That, and that resilience that you, you've clearly shown throughout your entire life. Like, these are the moments where I think it shows the most because it's like, it's personal. Mm-hmm. That's what I think people don't realize when you're like doing a talk show, when you're doing kind of a lot of the TV things that you're doing. It's such a personal experience. Yes. And so when you get critiques, you take it personally. Yes. And I think it's very natural. Yes, because you're talking about me. You're talking about me. It's not my work. You're, it's, it's a me thing. <laughs> it's not a character yeah. I put on. This is me. This is you. you yeah. know?
1: But the thing is, I mean, like when you're doing the podcast, yes. when you're doing a show like that, especially daytime, daytime mm-hmm. is very different from nighttime or primetime. Sure. And you are meant to be your authentic self mm-hmm. because the audience knows. Yes. The audience knows. The audience has helped me become more mm-hmm. of my authentic self. And so, even letting my hair go gray. Yes. What? Yes. I remember, child. This is how the hair, whole hair gray thing. Came <laughs> yeah, let's about. talk about it. So, I'm sitting up there in makeup, and mm-hmm. we we do the makeup. We go downstairs. We have the executive meeting. We run through the the show, and it was the at, it was in December. Michael Simon had just done Movember, right? Okay. Grew the mustache yeah, we, and everything. Mm-hmm. So the the hairstylist is putting mascara on my temples because, girl, my hair is white. <laughs> and she's like, girl, when are you getting your hair colored? Yeah. And I was like, I, you know what? I'm not. I, I, I'm i tired. I, I do not it. want to color my hair because every two weeks I'm having Gotta to color my it. hair. Yep, oh, my God. Yep. Right? You're looking at my nails. I don't even have my listen, nails done. Listen, listen. Um, so... I went downstairs mm-hmm. three minutes later and I entered the room and I, I said, I declare <laughs> this month, Snow Simba. Yes. I am not going to color my hair anymore. <laughs> Come on, Bridgerton. Okay. And then I was like, plus, and then I, I said, why is it that men look distinguished with gray hair and women look old? Mm-hmm. The ABC exec said, oh, we'll see. Girl, I hadn't even really made this decision. But knowing that I'm Taurus. Yes. Once you said it. Oh. Okay. I said. (laughs) I said. Oh, will you send me an email about that? Mm. I ain't getting no email. Right. And then I proceeded. Someone asked me to write an article and they said, you can write about anything. Don't even write about food. I said, okay, I'm going to write about going gray on television.
0: Love it. As the
1: backup. And so I decided to let my hair go gray because I knew about ageism. I know friends who are coloring their hair to keep a job (laughs) also for us. And we don't look our age. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and that becomes another reason for somebody to say we don't want you as soon as you start to. Become gray, but I said I'm doing it for all of
0: those women. And you did it, you know, you did it, and it looks good, girl. <laughs> it looks good. One other thing I just want to know more about is just the process, right? So it's one thing to get on there, but what are the auditions like, especially when it's not only personality, but it's the food too. It's the it's chemistry. It's the food. I mean, the benefit of
1: doing Top Chef mm-hmm. was they could look up the show and see me cooking. Right. So that was sort of my audition mm-hmm. about cooking and all the other things that I've yeah. done. We ended up doing a um, chemistry test. Mm-hmm. The five of us were only together for twenty minutes.
0: Wow. We were for the other
1: twenty minutes, and three days later, they announced us as the cast. That's it. Now, the first time mm-hmm. they they did a cattle call or just bringing a bunch of people together. They they had hundreds of people and they just had people talking. Yeah. And I was not chosen. Mm. And they shot a pilot for a year of the chew. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. they only... it's
0: for you. That is insane. So this it's is a what year. I'm
1: saying, a year. Daphne Oz was the only person was the only person from that, that. original cast yeah. who came over. There were some changes in ABC and they were like, okay, we have to change for the people to be people mm-hmm. that people recognize, mm-hmm. and I had just one fan favorite. Everything, Everything happens for a reason, up, like
0: you said. Oh,
1: even yeah. even to the point of being on the the baking championships. I yeah. just found this out yeah. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. The only reason I was chosen to do the baking championship was because I had a cookie company. Oh my goodness. It doesn't exist now, but yes. that, I mean, so all of these things are happening. There is nothing yes. wasted in your life, right? And you're picking mm. up all of these things. It's just like so by you not doing the thing, by you sort of halting or or resistant right. to act. Yes. You are damn. That is you damning up your good.
0: Yep. Or delaying the process. Exactly. Because the fact, oh my, there's so many connections and it's so great to just look back and you still have so much more to go. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we're going to talk about that too. But the fact that you can look back and all the dots connect yes. in such a just amazing way. It's it's incredible.
1: But when you can yeah. look back and you look at those dots, this is why reflection is so important. And, mm-hmm. and to do it with your good, good girlfriend, mm-hmm. somebody who tells you when you stink. Yes. You know, not yes. I don't have a lot of yes people around me. Uh, yeah, tell me when I stink. Right. Because when when I can look back and see my growth and see how that painful or really hard lesson has propelled me, mm-hmm. I'm more inclined to do it again. Do it again. So that's where right. I have the, the sort of the strength to do it again. I'm like, I made it through.
0: Yes, yes. And, okay, Carla, let's jump into what's upcoming. Mm -hmm. Discovery Plus, like you give the announcement, what's going on, tell the people. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) I I filmed this show called Chasing Flavors. Yes. Uh, It was ready last January. And so, again, it will Um, happen when it's meant to happen, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And the premise is we take a dish that's a beloved American dish. The first episode, I think, is ice cream. And so we start in New York— where there are lots of trends in New York. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, well, wait a minute, let's go back go back a step to Philadelphia where American ice cream was born in Philadelphia. And so then we're like okay hey if we had to go back another step and then also our presidents mm. loved ice cream and Jefferson loved ice True. cream and the enslaved chefs who were working in the White House mm. were producing this ice cream and and so a lot of that love that that history yes mm-hmm. a lot of that history mm-hmm. and also that history is our history True. that we True. don't own and we think about mm. like all of this and then we go back another step and I go to Florence and we go back another step and I'm in Istanbul
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: And the idea of the show is that to understand the history and cultures, all the cultures that who had a hand in this dish. Because if you don't know those stories, you don't know the dish. And a lot of times people want to separate the culture from the dish. And they're like, oh, I just want to eat it. But no, but when it's the Mexican culture that's all into this dish or soul food, black culture Mm -hmm. or Greek culture, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we get some of these other cultures. Uh, We know a lot about Italians. Yep. We know a lot about French people. Mm -hmm. But these other cultures who have informed these dishes, we don't know a lot about them. Don't know them. a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just sort of like lifting up those cultures and saying, "Hey, I see you."
0: Yes. Yes. I'm excited for you. Like, I'm just just taking it all. Uh, uh, I have a children's book. Yes.
1: I've wanted to do a children's book for forever. I used to draw. I used to do cartoons. I Mm. I thought I was going to be a cartoonist as a child. Mm. And so I did the first one with Kristen Hartke and Sharice Harris, last year, Carla and the Christmas Cornbread. And then so the next one is coming up in 2024, which I'm super excited about. Yep. They all have recipes. Yeah. They will have one recipe because I want to encourage young people to cook uh, with, yeah. you know, someone because that's where the stories are. Mm-hmm. And we hold it's so true. much of our culture in food.
0: That's true. It's true. What do you think about this current? It's not a trend. It really is here to stay of folks who you know maybe doing similar things as you but not necessarily putting in the i say the traditional work you know like we have like celebrity chefs who just have shows now we have like you know obviously the the age of just you know culinary influencers social media everything like that and folks are cooking but not necessarily knowing the techniques but they're cooking and they're doing their thing like what how does that compare to your story and the story of a lot of traditional chefs who are in the space too
1: Well, I think I'm never going to yuck someone's yum. True. Mm -hmm. Because it's empowering for a home cook to see another home cook Mm -hmm. their passion grow. Mm -hmm. And so I used to, uh, uh, trust me, it used to be an eye roll to me. But I was like, wait a minute, anything to inspire people to cook at home. Yes. You know, so when we really celebrate the home cook on the baking shows, because yes. a lot of times these people are—they know obs- what to what? do. They,
0: they know are- what to do. Okay,
1: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they are teaching themselves. They know. Mm-hmm. A, they know a little about a lot because yes. they just deep dive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they may know more than a corporate chef right. baker. I mean, a corporate pastry chef mm-hmm. because that pastry chef is making a lot of a few things True. versus right. like all these different things, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But I do think if you are in this world, you have to go back and get the theory, take some classes Mm -hmm. because people are listening to you and you have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. pass
0: on good information. Yeah. Love that. Based on that, you know, thought, last question for you is just more so what advice would you give specifically black women who want to either enter this space, are in this space and are trying to get to that next level or simply just trying to maintain,
1: (laughs) There is an amazing company. You're from New York, yep. so I don't know mm-hmm. if you've been back home and you've been on the cha- on the trains. It's called Chef S H E F, She F, mm. and it is it is a new platform for people who are working from home yeah. and they want to cook and they want to do delivery. But let's say a lot of people who from different cultures who come yeah. in and and you know. They, they are really great cooks. This is a way, like Uber, yeah, but for chefs. Love that. Right? Wow. And so they can make a living and create a business, mm-hmm. and that business may become a food truck, and that may become a restaurant or whatever, but it gives them the power to yes. start a business. I think that's one thing. Mm-hmm. I think as black women, there was a forum that I went to recently, Black Women in Food it was the summit. It was amazing. Sure, it yeah. was. I mean, from farmers to the the grocery, but uh, <laughs> there are a lot of black women out there doing things, and I think that uh, we have to support each other yes. and we have to build a chain and connect mm-hmm. so that we can grow together.
0: Yes, 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 Carla, <laughs> I loved it. Thank you so much for for joining us here today. Like, tell the people where they can find you what to look out for just you know anything else you want to share you can find me on instagram carla p hall
1: i'm on facebook chef carla hall i'm on twitter i i let them take my blue check (laughs) by the way i ain't paying for it okay um and also my website Mm carlahall.com and you can see my books you can see the things that are upcoming oftentimes we do um calendars on facebook so you can see where i'm going to be near you I'm I'm working on a one woman show, so yeah. for my 60th next year, man, I am trying to do a whole party for women turning 60 yes. in 2024. Come yes. on, can I what? crash?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> are you 60?
0: <laughs> um, I could be ah. that day. <laughs> 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 Who's checking my ID? <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for having me. Yes. I loved it, tequila.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Monuments to Me. Thank you to Revolt for allowing us this safe space to have these important conversations. If you like what you heard today, then subscribe and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. ba
1: ba 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 At participating McDonald's. When something happens to your kitchen,
0: you might say, This is ludicrous.